We are currently uh, coming towards the end of a concentrated focus on prayer. We've spent 40 days in prayer. We had a prayer journal that we were going through together as a church. And uh, I sincerely hope that it has um, stirred you in your spirit regarding prayer, not only for your own life, but for us as a congregation, um, as a church together, as a body. Um, One of the themes that we see throughout this time it keeps kind of coming up in the scriptures that we look at, and it's this. It's just how important it is to be oriented right, to approach God right, to come into a time of prayer in such a way that will bring about the divine intervention of God's work in our life. Because if you really think that prayer is something that it's not, you will, you'll pray and pray and pray sometimes, and you'll You'll believe that it ought to be working and there's just not a whole lot of fruit or impact and you kind of slowly fade from the activity. You kind of say, what's the use? Prayer. I tried it. Didn't work. On the other hand, if we come to God the way Scripture teaches us and we begin to understand the dynamic of prayer, we begin to understand this whole relational aspect of prayer, this whole praying in the Spirit, this whole presenting ourselves as living, holy sacrifices to Him, well, we begin to see the supernatural work of God. We begin to see the agreement of our prayer with His will. We begin to see that God begins to go before us, that God begins to grant us patience to wait upon Him, that fruit begins to spring up in some of the most unlikely places. Things that we thought were going to be just terrible and horrible. Yeah, they're difficult when we walk through them, but look at the bright, beautiful thing that God has done because we went through that. Prayer flourishes in our life when we see and are cooperating with the will of God and we just want to do it more and more and more. But sadly, because prayer has been approached in a way that's, well, it's trying to get God to do our will. We've talked about that many times over these five or six weeks. And because we've approached God that way and it hadn't worked out well, well, we've come up with kind of new theologies to explain away, explain away why we pray, ask God, and we read those asking you receive kind of verses and we'll say, not working for me, so I've got to get some other theology created. And so we come up with a theology like this. See if you've ever heard this before. God answers all prayers. It's just most of the time the answer is no. You ever heard that? I've heard that at different times throughout my ministry. God answers all prayers. It's just most of the time it's no. Now, what kind of picture does that paint of God? He's kind of some kind of mean-spirited, withholding God that doesn't really want to bless our lives and Don't get me wrong, there have been times in my life where I've prayed and I felt like, you know, this would be really cool if this would work out. You ever prayed like that? Started prayer, God, this would be really cool. This would be really cool if we could just get on the same page here, you know? And as I prayed about that thing or I prayed about that job or that move or whatever it was, I began to pray about that, something in my spirit began to shape my prayer according to the will of God. 
And I guess if I had to say, I wish it had turned out my way, there's a human side to say, I wish it would have been that way, but now I see what God was doing over here. And so I will walk in his way. You remember the Apostle Paul, right? He had this thorn in the flesh. We're not really sure what it was, but how many times did he pray for the Lord to take that thorn in the flesh away? It says in the Scripture, he prayed three times, Lord, please take this away. What did God do? Left it with him. And he began to change Paul. Instead of answering the way Paul wanted him to answer, he began to say, Paul, guess what? That thorn in your flesh is going to keep you from exalting you. It's going to keep you free from that kind of pride. It's also going to show you that my grace is what? Sufficient for everything you'll encounter in life. Now, Paul, do you really want it gone? No. I want to know all that God has in my life. Even if it's difficult, a struggle. So the challenge is, how do we approach Him in prayer? Understanding that He's all-powerful, He's all-loving, He's all-knowing. Understanding that if we can tap into his perspective, his view of things, there's, there's going to be this divine activity stirred up in our prayers. There's going to be intercession that's effective and powerful. It's our avenue to connect with his plan for the world. And I read one author has said this. He said, to pray is to change. Do you believe that, first of all? If you're really praying, if you're really in connection with God, it's going to change you. The author says, to pray is to change. And if you're unwilling to change, you're going to stop doing what? (laughs) Praying. Lord, I don't want to change. That's not why I'm coming to you. I want you to do. (laughs) The verses in Romans 12... um, You know, we don't usually think of these verses when we're talking about prayer or prayer series. The word prayer doesn't even appear in them, but, um, you know, when it comes to getting oriented right with God, when it comes to approaching Him appropriately in such a way that it will bring about the divine will of God into our lives, I think these two verses say it about as good as any. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, beg you, plead with you. I urge you, brethren, the church, the body, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, That which is good and acceptable and perfect. Simple question. Do you pray your will or God's will most often? I mean, think about it. When I pray, 
Do I pray my will or God's will most often? And the reason I ask that question, I've been reminded of that question over and over throughout this series as I've studied these passages on prayer. I've been reminded as I'm praying, Lord, am I trying to impose my will upon you again? Yes, you are. (laughs) I want your will. I don't want my will. Your will's far more exciting than my will. One thing I've learned is that my will's pretty puny. How about you? That when it comes to the grand scheme of God and the world, my will is pretty puny. It's kind of selfish, and it's usually all about who? Yeah, me. And I've come to know that His will is so life-giving, life-changing, world-changing, if you will. Well, let's see what these two verses help us understand about God's will and how to pray in God's will. You have to understand this about Romans 12, that it starts a new section of the book of Romans, 16 chapters in the book of Romans. Oh, by the way, um, two weeks from today, we're going to start uh, a series of messages on the book of Romans, okay? I just really feel like God has been speaking to me over the last several months about digging into this book. And um, you know what I've decided to start at the very first verse of the, of the book? Isn't that a good place to start? I've mapped out sermons uh, up through the first several chapters, and I've gotten all the way to next Easter. And I think I'm done with chapter 8. Okay? There's just so much in the book of Romans. And I think God has a wonderful adventure for us over this next year. But chapter 12 begins a new section. And um, chapters 9 through 11, if you're familiar with the book, are about God's mercy upon the nation of Israel. They're all about how God rescued and delivered Israel in spite of their disobedience, waywardness. That He had mercy on them. He didn't give them what they deserved. And by extension, us. He didn't give us what we deserved. And so he says that, I urge you, I beg with you, I plead with you, brothers. Please, by the mercies of God. Some people, some translations would say, in view of God's mercy or because of God's mercy. That I just went to three chapters to explain to you about the mercy and how good God has been to you. And because of that, with that in your brain, with that in your mind, Present yourself holy as a living sacrifice. He wants to connect us that our presentation of our lives to God is a reaction. It is a response to what He's done for us. And so here's the first point. Praying God's will is rooted in a view of His mercy. You want to pray God's will? You're going to have a keen awareness of what He's done for you. It's kind of a fortress, a shelter. It's kind of a protection, a shield, I guess is a better word. It's kind of a shield against selfish prayers. God, you've done so much for me. I understand what you've done for me. I'm fully aware of the price of the cross, and I, I continually go back to the cross, and I see the blood, and I see the scars, and You can have me. 
you ever imagine yourself in heaven? Come on. You ever imagine yourself in heaven? What is it going to be like? You know, I imagine myself in heaven. I, I, I see my mom there. Being with her again, I just... And I think about, will I be different in heaven? Will I have the same personality? Will I have the same values, the thought processes? And Because, you know, we're supposed to bring heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, we're supposed to live this heaven life, this, this out-of-the-world life, into the heaven life here. And so I often wonder, am I living the heaven life here? Is my outlook towards life the heaven outlook? And I think about my praying. And so I think about heaven, and I think about being there, and I see Jesus face to face. First of all, can you imagine that? Face to face. Jesus. But can you imagine being there, seeing the glory about him and the, and the scars in his hands and his feet, and, and just saying, you know, uh, you know, Jesus, uh, I don't really like my place here in heaven very well. I really would like to be upgraded a little bit. I'm a long ways from the throne. I'm way out here in the suburbs. You know, it's way up there. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I think sometimes in my prayer life, our prayer life, we get to the point where that's it's, it's more earthly than it is heavenly, if that makes sense. And the reason we don't get prayer, and the reason there's not power in our prayer sometimes is because we... We just lose sight of the cross. Or it's somewhere in our history or our past. And even though Jesus said, take up your cross once and for all, or daily. Take up your cross every day and understand the mercy that's been poured out on your behalf. How could I want anything other than what he wants? And no matter what that means to me personally. Absolutely, no matter what it means to me personally. You know, Jesus is with his disciples in that last week before his, his death. He's gathered them all around. He talks to them about a lot of things that week. But one of the things he says is found in Luke 21. Can you imagine being a disciple and hearing this? But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. I mean, can you imagine being a disciple and hearing that? And I was studying that, and, and you began to look at the context of that. What is the context of Luke 21? Is he talking about the week that they're in right then? Actually, he's not necessarily. You go on and you see that the context for what he's talking about is the end of the age. He's talking about his return. He's talking about one day I'm coming back. And in those last days, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be a time of preparation and I want you to be aware. I want you to know that there is coming this day. When persecution may break out in the church. He's talking about you and he's talking about me. He is saying that living in the center of his life for us is not going to be compatible with the way the world operates. 
And as the age progresses towards its conclusion, it's going to become more and more hostile. The difference between the world and heaven's kingdom is going to be so stark. They're going to become, they're going to take up camps here. And they're going to be persecuting this. You want God's will? You want God's will in your life? And it leads us to the next point. God's Praying God's will is our logical response. It's our logical response. It says that in this passage. It says that it's your reasonable. One version says reasonable. The NASB says uh, spiritual service of worship. The word is logikos, where we get the word logical. If you're looking at God's mercy and what he's done for you, the only logical response you can have to that was, sure, you can have my life. Well, sure, here is my life. Here's my future. Here's my dreams and my hopes. All that. It's all here. Jesus died on the cross. He rescued me from the darkness of life around me. He's given me purpose. He's given me meaning. He's given me a hope of eternity where there's no sorrow and no tears and no shame. And of course you can have this life of mine. I'd have to be crazy not to come to you with my life. I'd be crazy not to want to give you everything. It's just illogical to even think that I can understand the scope of God's mercy for me and not freely give him everything. So if you are struggling with some area of your life where you really want what you want or you're really struggling with a a, a call that God has on your heart and a heart on your life and you're struggling with that, the struggle is over whether or not you're really going to understand the mercy that God's shown in your life. Because when we understand the mercy, of course I'll do that. I mean, there's so much more we could talk about verse 1, but I've got to get to verse 2. It says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. And the point I would make is that praying God's will requires new thinking. Is it important how you think? (laughs) I mean, is it important to be a thinking Christian when you watch the evening news? Even if it's Fox News. Should you be filtering life through a biblical view of the world? Amen. We've got to think biblically or we're going to be tossed about by the waves of doctrine, even in the church, or the waves of the culture. And we're going to begin to say, you know, the culture is starting to make sense about that particular issue. Because I'm not thinking biblically. I'm not renewed in my mind. I become suspect to the deceptions of the world. When you start thinking about prayer, most Christians' idea of prayer is to ask God to make the world a better place. Just think about it. We want God to make people that we know stop fighting and arguing and We want God to improve our nation and we want to keep our loved ones healthy and provide a nice, happy existence for us. And when those things aren't happening, what do we do? 
We pray that God would make those things happen. We want God to make the world better. The world's perspective on life is to be happy and peaceful and prosperous, and everyone's chasing after that, and we read books to tell us how to manage our money better, our bodies, our minds, and, uh, well, and then there's also love. Everybody wants to find true love, right? If I'm, if I'm in love, then I'm happy. So uh, young people especially, or anybody will pray for it, and they enroll in eHarmony or whatever, you know what I mean? If I could just find love. The thinking is that in order to be happy in this life, all I need is to be loved, happy, peaceful, prosperous, and those are going to be the chief ends of my life. Those are the goals that I'd like to see. And the real problems come when we realize that after we've put all of our eggs in that basket, we've pursued that, and we've got the 401k built up, and we've got it all put together. Well, guess what? Your kids grow up, and then what do you want? The same for them. You want them to get the American dream. Pursue it. Give it all you got. And then what happens? You get grandkids. I got to think about this. Tell me if you think this is a true statement. It seems that Americans spend their lives... Constantly upgrading until they realize they are under so much stress they start downsizing. I know you won't believe that. That came out of this head right here. I thought that up. I did. But isn't it true? We spend our whole life upgrading. I need a better car, better house. I need a better income. I need a better retirement. Upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. And then one day you wake up and you go... I don't need all this stuff. Honey, it's time to downsize. And so what do you do? You rent five storage rooms that you pay for for the next five years. I'm here to tell you what I just described is insanity. You understand that, right? That is just total insanity. It's worldly it's the system of the world and he's calling us here don't be conformed to this age it's not really the word world in greek it's it really means the age this period of time don't be conformed to this cultural experience you're in be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it mean to be renewed? You know what that word means in, in the Greek? It means to renovate. Anybody ever renovated your house? Out with the old, in with the new? Strip the walls down. Maybe you're taking out a wall. Pull up the smelly carpet. Throw it out. Renovate means to completely remake. In a modern way, it's kind of like rebooting the system. You know, when you reboot a computer, it just cleans out everything. It cleans out that memory, the cache, and it also does away with the, the running programs. It's kind of a fresh start. It's like having a brand new system. And Paul is saying here that the only way that you're going to get on God's wavelength is to renovate your mind. You can't just keep the old carpet and the old walls. and You can't just keep that and say, God, I want you to come in and make yourself at home. 
You've got to renovate and flush it out and change everything. You have to change the way you think about the world, your existence on it. You've got to change the way you think about God, how He works, about the future. I mean, you really have to change the way you think about everything. Ah, but the result is wonderful. What's the result of thinking God's way? (laughs) You know the will of God. You can prove. It says a test to test it or approve the will of God. You just know the will of God. I'm thinking on God's wavelength. I see what he's doing here. Yeah, this is troubling. This is difficult. This is a painful process. But I can see this ultimate way in which he's changing me, changing the people involved. I begin to agree with the will of God. It says there in the Scripture that when our lives are transformed, our minds are transformed, we change the way we think, we don't conform to the patterns of this world, we're able to test and approve what is the will of God. We get to join Him in what He's doing. And the point is this, praying God's will always results in divine intervention. I mean, when you're praying God's will, can you expect God to answer that prayer (laughs) every time? If I know that I'm praying God's will, I know that He will will either change me or He will change the situation. I remember there was a time in my life where I felt like God wanted me to move my family across the country. You ever been there, anybody? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went from Florida to California. This is across the country. And you know, Cindy and I were in a church in Tampa, and uh, it, was, it was a wonderful church, and it was a larger church, and it was just, I was on staff there, I wasn't the lead pastor, and, uh, and I just loved Florida. You know, it's, did you know it's never cold in Florida? I mean, never, ever. And we just bought a house. We'd been in this brand new house for about 12 months. And life was so good. And so a church in Southern California, they called us and called me to come and be the pastor of that church. And uh, I prayed and prayed and prayed. And I just knew that God wanted us to pick up our family and move across the country from Florida to California. After all, life here is good, so life there is going to be what? Oh, better at least, yeah. It wasn't good. Uh-uh. I got there, and I knew the pay was going to be a little less. I've told this story before, but the first board meeting I went in, after looking at the, the books in complete detail, said... That, the pay is going to have to be a lot less, and I'm going to have to go out and get another job and be bivocational. I wasn't expecting that. And, and the house was old and smelly. And right next to the church, oh, my word. We also encountered something in Southern California that we had never experienced before. Sorry to those of you in, from Southern California. Smog. 
We left the beautiful sunny skies of Florida. And if that wasn't enough, I went into this church of about 60 people and... Um, you know, we had great vision for, okay, this is all just the initial thing here. It's all going to get worked out, right? And uh, after six months of being there, 60 people had become 19. And you know, we were there two and a half years. And I look back at my life, there's a, couple of, there's a couple of seasons of my life where God significantly changed me. And California is one of those places where God changed me. And he says, my work will always be about me. I, 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 I was exposed to a whole new way of worship when I was in California. Changed my whole life in regards to worship 20-some years ago. I look back and I thank God for our California experience. And I got to tell you, even though God helped us there and we saw fruit and we saw good things, I want you to know it was never easy. It was never easy. But I am here to tell you as a testimony that living and praying in God's will will help you know why you were created and put on this planet. <laughs> it will. He will confirm that in your spirit. He will use the situation to breed His heart into your life. Let me ask you, is God is God's will good, even if it's difficult? It, it says that in the Scripture. It's good, pleasing, or acceptable, and perfect. Is God's will always good? You know, I, I'm so glad Jesus prayed that uh, in the garden. Remember that? Not my will be done, but your will be done. I'm so glad that, that Jesus said, I'm going to set aside I'm going to set aside what, what I would hope, but I know that the Father is right. I know that the Father's will is where I need to be. And I set aside, even to death, because I want the fullness of the Father. I want His will lived out in my life. I think of the, the stoning of Stephen in Acts, the seventh chapter. and Was, was that God's will? For Stephen to be martyred in the new church here? And I look at that and I read Acts 8 and on. What happened in Acts 8.1? It says that there was a great persecution that broke out against the church. And what did the church do? It fled out of Jerusalem. And where did it go? Into all the areas around. And what happened to the gospel? It got out of home base and went spreading throughout. Did God have a plan for Stephen's martyrdom? I bet he did. That he did. And so what part you play, what part I play in the, in the overall will of God, it's God's choice. Is this pleasing? Is God's will pleasing, acceptable to you? It's not something you grit your teeth about, but it's something that 
There's something just very pleasing about my will conforming to His will and knowing right in the center of His will. Is His will perfect? You know what that word perfect, teleos, in the Greek means? It means whole or complete. Well, get this picture. If God's will is complete, there's no room for yours and my will. God's will is complete. It's a whole. It's perfect. And it's good. So sometimes when we look at the stress in our life, the frustration, the anger, when we start exhibiting control or manipulation or... Because either we've lost sight of His mercy or we've conformed to the world's ways. We're not living that heaven life here. So my invitation today is simply this, that we pray with Jesus, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. Not just today, but tomorrow and I want your will for my kids. If that means you have to put them through the grinder, <laughs> I'll love them and pray for them all the way through the difficulties that you're doing to bring them to the place of really knowing you. I just want my kids to know Jesus. Right? I just want my grandkids to know Jesus. I want you to bow your heads with me. In just a few moments, I'm going to ask, as we've done several times during this prayer service, to close our time with a, just a corporate time of prayer down here at the front. We're going to sing a little bit, and then I'm going to ask you to come and uh, just join me across the front. And we're going to pray for God's will. I don't know what the future holds, and I don't know what the next year holds in the life of this church. But I know that I want God's will done here. I want God's will done in my life. I want God's will in our leaders here. And I think it would be good for us to close as a community of believers just around the front here together, side by side. Just praying that God's will be done. Do whatever it takes, Lord Jesus, that we see your will here. Father, as we enter into this closing time of prayer, I pray that... I just pray, Father, that you would... So grip us as a people. That we are a, a, a broken people before you. A broken and spilled out people before you. That, that we've set aside our agendas and our ideas of what we think and opinions. But we just want to walk humbly before you. We just want to know you. We want to acknowledge you as Lord, Master, Savior. Let's stand together and sing, please.